Good morning. Glad to see you all here today. It's a great day to be together in the house of the Lord. Amen. Well, we've been talking about facing God. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 6. And we've been talking about heart change. Um, I want to start by giving a little historical background for those who may or may not be familiar. So at the beginning of chapter 1, we saw that Isaiah... Um, had this experience with God in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died. So Israel was entering into a state of political uncertainty. And we know, as we look at the rest of this chapter and the rest of Isaiah's teachings and then also the rest of the Old Testament, we see that, essentially, Isaiah was going to preach to the people until they went off into exile. Jeremiah comes, he preaches the people off into exile, both the nation of Israel and Judah, remember they're split at this time, are sent off into exile. They're sent out of their homeland that God had given them. And the reason they were sent out was because of their continuous, unrelenting, unrepentant idolatry. They never stopped worshiping false gods. And so God promised them when he, before he sent Moses, when Moses said, hey, we're getting ready to go over to the promised land, he said, if you follow me, this will be your land forever. If you don't follow me, if you follow other gods, I'm going to send you out of it. And so God sent them out of the land. And uh, the Jews, a lot of them ended up in Babylon. And then at the time of Ezra, they began coming back to Israel. And at this time, God had cured them of their idolatry. But we see something else that starts to happen, something kind of curious. And that is Ezra... He sits down and he says, look, guys, we need to take this whole law thing very, very seriously, right? We have just been sent out of the land because of our inability to obey God's word. So now we're going we're gonna to make sure that we take this Old Testament, this Pentateuch, this law very seriously. And so they begin um, implementing a series of really, initially, really beneficial changes and helps. Um, they began making inroads, and, and, and they, they stopped worshiping other gods. But after just a few generations, essentially what happens is we have this sect known as the Pharisees. Now, you've probably heard the term Pharisee thrown around. We like to call people Pharisees in the church. You're a legalist. You're a Pharisee. Um, but essentially, the Pharisees are the descendants of Ezra who took God's word very, very seriously. And they took it so seriously, they wanted to make sure that they did not disobey. So when God says that they're supposed to give 10% of all their things, they said, well, that means not just 10% of the grain of the field, but if you have a, a home garden and you're growing some herbs, you need to make sure you're giving the first fruits, the first 10% of that herb harvest to the Lord. Um, they wanted to make sure that they never took the Lord's name in vain, so they wouldn't even say the name of the Lord. When they came across the four letters in the Hebrew Old Testament, um, Yahweh, that is the, the name of the Lord. Um, they would not say Yahweh. They would say Adonai, or, which means Lord, right? Yahweh is God's name. Lord is calling him master. So they wouldn't say Yahweh. They would say Lord because they did not want to even come close to um, breaking the law of God. And so we see that what started off is really beneficial and very helpful after just a few generations became something that um, they, they kind of missed the point right? We, we, we can look back and we say, yeah, the Pharisees, um, obviously Jesus and the Pharisees got into a lot of fights and, and they, they didn't see Jesus for who he was and they rejected him and they called him uh, blasphemous for claiming to be God's son. 
but it started out really beneficial. And so today, as we look at the closing part of Isaiah chapter 6, we're focusing on this concept of obedience. Because even as I've been speaking the last two weeks that uh, facing God's about heart change and it's about life change, there are passages in God's word like James 2.18 where James says, you show me your faith apart from your works and I show you my faith by my works, right? 1 John, 1 John, the first, uh, God, not, not the gospel of John, but the letter, the first letter of John, that's 1 John, uh, he talks about how if you love God, you will obey his command. So there's clearly some part of us that needs to focus on obedience, but how does that relate with what I've been talking about the last few weeks? So today we're going to focus on this concept of total or true obedience, and this is the kind of obedience that pleases God. So if you'll look with me in your passage of, in your copy of God's Word, we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 9. So just a little background, Isaiah has, um, so that the king has died, Isaiah's been preaching for a few years, he's ar- he knows the Torah, he's already been called a prophet of God, he's been preaching and teaching God's Word to the people, and um, he has this vision of God, he sees God in his temple, and he says, whoa, woe is me, right? Because he's in the presence of God, the divine, old, 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 just superior being that God is. And Isaiah enters into this throne room. He's like, I don't belong here. And seeing God for who he really is, I deserve to die. So Isaiah says, woe is me. And then one of God's fiery servants, the seraphim, one of the angels, delivers a hot coal from the, from the, the altar, underneath the altar where the fire is that burns the, the offerings. And he touches it to Isaiah's lips, and he tells Isaiah, you've now been cleaned. Your your lips are clean. You now have no impurity. And so then God says, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah's like, me. Here I am. Send me. And then we pick up here. So so Isaiah has just volunteered. God says, I need someone to go. Who's going to go? And Isaiah says, me. All right? So we kind of touched on this briefly last week, but Isaiah doesn't know what he's asked, what he's signed up for yet. So he's going to find out here, starting in verse 9, what he has signed up for. Isaiah's, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what God wants me to do because I'm really excited about it. I just had this heart change. I just had this life change. I'm going to now do God's will. And he's really pumped up about it. And this is what God says. And he said, that is Yahweh, that is God, the Lord, says, go and say to this people, that is the Israelites, Isaiah's people, go and say to this people, and then this is quotes, so go tell this people, quote, Keep on listening and do not comprehend. Keep on looking and do not understand. That's what Isaiah is going to preach to the people. And God explains, make the heart of this people insensitive. Make its ears unresponsive and shut its eyes so that it may not look with its eyes and listen with its ears and comprehend with its mind and turn back and it may be healed for him. Then Isaiah says, then I said, Until when, Lord? And Yahweh said, Until the cities lie wasted without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is ruined and a waste, and Yahweh, that is God, the Lord, sends the people far away, and the abandonment is great in the midst of the land. And even if only a tenth part remain, again, she, that is Israel, will be destroyed like a terebinth or like an oak, which although felled, a stump remains in them. The seed 
of holiness will be her stump. God says he's going to cut down the nation of Israel like a tree. But like some trees, you can cut them down and they'll grow right back again because the stump, they call it root energy. There's a story out here on the east side. I don't know if you know Mesquite Valley Growers. They've got all those beautiful mesquite trees along the, the road there on Speedway between um, Pantano and, is it Pantano and Pino Seco? Yeah. And uh, back in the 90s, some guy came down. He was really ticked at the owner, and he took a chainsaw, and he, he cut all those trees down to the ground. But because mesquites are really just big weeds, um, within a couple years they've grown back and now they're now they're these beautiful mesquite trees with multiple branches so uh, a mesquite is twice as big underground as it is above ground so you cut the tree off and it'll be back next year um, so that's what God's saying here is that and even if only a tenth part remain again she will be destroyed like an oak tree which although cut a, a stump remains in them seed of holiness will be your stump so essentially God is telling Isaiah that Isaiah's responsibility now, Isaiah is going to preach sermons to people who will never, ever repent. Isaiah's, what Isaiah volunteered for is to be the mouthpiece of God to a people who God intended to harden and send off into exile. And, but like God, he gives a little bit of hope. There is still a seed. Things won't completely die. So I want, us, I, want, I want us to see from this passage, point one, o obedience starts in the head, but must involve the heart. So remember, we talked about head, heart, hands. We can't just know the right things and do the right things. We have to want to do the right things too. If our hearts aren't transformed by the power of God's word, by, if our desires aren't, aren't made right with God, then, then we're going to have some problems. And I, I want us to see this. Isaiah so we must know the right things. So we do need to know the right things. We need to know what to do. We need to know God's word. Isaiah knew the law, though. He knew the word of God. He, he was preaching. He was teaching. And God's word is full of things. The Old Testament alone has 600 some odd commands. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gives all kinds of commands. The New Testament is filled with commands and encouragements and suggestions. So we need to know the right things. It is important for us to be able to fully obey God, we do need to know what is right and what is wrong. We do need to know God's word, and we do need to spend time in the word. But the second thing is we must also have the right desires. Because just simply doing, knowing the right thing, and then acting on what you know without letting it change your heart, we can end up causing all kinds of trouble. And to some extent, this is what Jer uh, Jesus accuses the Pharisees of, right? He says, you know, like, you guys are following me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So it's not just a matter of knowing the right things, but we must also have the right desires. And we see that this is what happens with Isaiah. God says, <laughs> Isaiah's like, woe is me. And then he's like, here I am, send me. And then God's like, go and tell this people to not not be changed, make the heart of this people insensitive. And then Isaiah, I love his response in verse 11. He just says, until when, Lord? Right? Mo God gave Moses a task, and how does Moses respond? 
oh, I, I don't think I can do that. I, I don't, I'm not a good speaker. Uh, I don't think I can go by myself. Are you, what am I going to say? <laughs> Isaiah just says, until when? And, and I don't know if that's resignation. I don't know if that's some kind of like whatever God, but his heart had been changed. We can tell that. His heart had been transformed. God didn't need to give Isaiah more things to know. He didn't, he didn't stack on top of the law a whole bunch of things that Isaiah needed to memorize. And he didn't just give Isaiah a task list of things to go do. He gave Isaiah an experience with him that radically changed his heart. Like, we saw that. Isaiah, he had this whole human sensory experience, and then his heart was transformed. He went from woe is me to here I am, send me. And now he's willing to take God's, God's command, and he says, until when? So, there's no, there's no grumbling here. There's no whining. He's just wholeheartedly obedient. And this is, this is the kind of obedience that we need to strive to get to ourselves. And that leads us to the second point, is that obedience without the right motives is dangerous. And I think that um, a lot of times when we as Christians hear about things that have happened in the past or in other parts of the world where Christians do really bad things, we like to say, well, that's, they're not really Christian, or that's not us. You know, we talk about, Southern, as Southern Baptists, our, our history, you know, the, the reason Southern Baptists were started was as a result of slavery. Um, that we, Southern Baptists, wanted to be able to send missionaries, and the American Baptist organization said, uh, no slave owners, slaveholders can send missionaries. And so we said, well, we're, we still want to hold slaves and send missionaries. So, um, and, and we like to look at it, we started because of missions. Well, we also started because of slavery. And, and a lot of times we'll say, well, that's not us. And, and I think that's true, but we have to acknowledge that there, there were people who claimed to be faithful Christians who committed uh, atrocious acts. And we can look back at the Crusades, where by the, in the name of Jesus, warriors were sent out for fame, for glory, and they were sent to go um, establish God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. They started with the right idea. God wanted to establish his kingdom on earth, but they were motivated by power, by uh, personal profit, and, and this, is, this is dangerous. This is a dangerous kind of faith that, that takes, takes the word of God and puts it in our minds, doesn't let our hearts be changed, and then goes out and acts upon it. And Jesus, again, Jesus, his number one opponents were the Pharisees. And remember, the Pharisees were essentially the faithful people of Jesus' day. They, they're the, I mean, if we're going to draw a modern parallel, they're, they're the people who show up to church every Sunday and Wednesday night. They're the faithful Christians. They, they tried so hard to obey God's word. They weren't idolaters. They weren't sexually immoral. They weren't doing any of these bad things. They were, they were God's chosen people. And they could not understand how this man from Nazareth, of all places, could be coming and teaching them and telling them that they were wrong when they had God's word. Right? But what does he say? Jesus says to them in Matthew 9, 13, But go and learn what it means. I want mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not call, come to call the righteous but sinners. This is such an incredible response. 
They're, the Pharisees are like, well, why don't your disciples wash their hands the way the Pharisees do? Because, right, God talks about in the Old Testament, you can find in the Torah, um, places where it talks about you need to make sure you're ritually clean. If you accidentally touch a dead body or if you get blood on yourself, you need to wash in, wash in water. And so the Pharisees, they wanted to make sure that they hadn't accidentally come into contact with anything that might have been dead. And so they always washed before every meal. And, and then they wanted to know, well, you keep healing on the Sabbath. Why aren't you honoring the Sabbath? And, you know, because you're not supposed to do any work on the seventh day. And so they had this whole list of exactly how do you, what, what is work. Uh, for us, it means going to, the jo- going, to, going to our office and getting paid. But, but when, you lived in, when you lived on the farm, what is work? Like, does that mean we don't feed the animals on Saturday? Like, does that mean that we don't water the plants? Does, what does that mean? And so they had all this stuff defined because they wanted to make sure they didn't disobey God's word. But Jesus says, I want mercy and not sacrifice. Sacrifice is what you can do with your hands. Sacrifice is work, is stuff you can do. Mercy is a position of the heart. Jesus is criticizing them, not for doing the wrong things, not for believing the wrong things, but for having the wrong motives. And look at what he says. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus isn't actually saying there's anyone righteous. Uh, this is, this is, we have to be very careful because obedience without the right motives is dangerous. And that can hurt others and it hurts yourself because what does he say? I have not come to call righteous, but sinners. We know there's no one righteous. Jesus isn't saying there are righteous people. Like, like there's all these sinners and then there's all these righteous people. And I just came here for the sinners. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, all y'all are sinners, but I can only help those who see it. Like, it's not that you don't need to be saved too, you who think you're righteous. It's that I can't do anything for you. If you think that you're righteous when you're a sinner, you cut yourself off from God's grace and God's mercy. I want you to see this. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason puts you in danger of separating yourself from God's love. God's grace. The wrong kind of obedience can hurt others, as we talked about, crusades, slavery. There are Christians who, who could show you gospel, uh, book and verse, why they thought slavery was righteous and moral and God's plan for African Americans. They could, they could open this book and point to the verses that said, this is God's plan. You could not have won an argument with them, but their heart was broken in a very bad way, and they were thinking they were doing the right thing, and they were acting with their hands, but they did not have mercy for God's people, God's creation. So that can hurt others, but more importantly, the wrong kind of obedience can hurt you. You don't want to be self-righteous, because Jesus, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came for the sinners. He came for the lowly, the brokenhearted. He came for those who are racked with guilt and who are overwhelmed by the enormity of their failure. 
And that wasn't the Pharisees. They thought they were in line to receive God's promises, and they missed out. But look at this. So the wrong kind of obedience can hurt others and hurt yourself, but the right kind of obedience, how do we know what that looks like? That produces fruit. The right kind of obedience results in fruit. And there's two kinds of fruit. There's the fruit of the Spirit, which uh, if you've ever served in kids' ministry, Awana VBS, the fruit of the Spirit's not an apple, right? <laughs> and the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So that you, you need to learn that song. But that's fruit of the Spirit. So, so the right kind of obedience will develop in you a love for God. And you'll see as you're following God with this wholehearted, so mind, heart, hands, head, heart, hands, full obedience, total obedience produces fruit. And you'll see more love for people. You'll see more joy, even in suffering. You'll see more peace when you're on the road. You're driving down the road. And instead of automatically trying to swerve to cut people off, you say, God bless you, brother. I'm going to back off your tail. I'm going to slow down five miles per hour and let you have it. Love, joy, peace, patience. Parents, siblings, you're going to have more patience for the people in your life. Kindness. You're going to see people acting out in disobedience online, and you're not going to immediately want to call them names and, and smite them down with God's justice. You're going to pray for them, and you're going to show them love and kindness, goodness. Your thoughts, your deeds, your actions, your motives will start reflecting the character of Jesus. People will look at you and be like, I, I, there's something good about you. The way you think, the way you, the way you smell spiritually, the, the, the way you, you carry yourself, there's something good. Faithfulness. You're going to stay committed to your spouse in a really difficult season. You're going to stay committed to the people around you. You're going to show up and serve when there's a need. Gentleness, right? Self-control. Following God correctly. Obeying God with our whole head heart and hands results in fruit, growth, fruit of the Spirit. And the opposite is also true. You can tell that you're disobeying God or you're obeying God in the wrong way when the fruit of the flesh keep coming up, which are the exact opposites of the fruits of the Spirit. But there's a different kind of fruit. The second kind of fruit is the fruit of mul multiplication. So the right kind of obedience results in more people coming to know Jesus better. And whether that means one-on-one -on -one with a few people who are really coming to know Jesus better, or it results in, in evangelism and you sharing the gospel with all your friends and neighbors and lots of people coming to know Jesus, fruit of multiplication is leading other people to Jesus, to know Jesus better. So following God needs to lead to more fruit. So next question is, what is total obedience? And... Uh, like I said, total obedience is not just knowing the right thing and doing the right thing, but doing it with the right motives. Now, this is the next point, and this is, this is where we turn back to Isaiah. Point three, total obedience is not easy, and this can come in a lot of different ways. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to know what to do. You're in a situation, and it doesn't seem like there's any easy right answer. And sometimes it's hard to want to do the right thing, like, I know I need to love that person in my life, but man, I can't stand them. And sometimes it's hard to actually do the right thing. Like, you know, I, I know God wants me to quit my job. 
because I know he wants me to go into ministry. I know God wants me to go to seminary, but I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to live. I, I don't know. So total obedience is not easy. And saying this as somebody who preaches occasionally, who's served in church ministry, who currently is involved in a, a ministry called Christian Challenge, where my, my passion is to see college students come to know Jesus. If God gave me the call of Isaiah and said, I want you to go and preach to this people and, <laughs> and make it so that they never hear and never respond, I would be crushed. God said, from this day forth to the rest of your life, you know, your next 40 years, however long you're going to be on earth, not one person is going to come to know Jesus better. Not one person's going to repent. Not one person is going to draw closer to the Lord as a result of your ministry. I would be crushed. But the truth is, God often leads us to do what seems impossible. I'm like, God, I don't know how. I could minister the rest of my life without having some kind of encouragement from getting to see people come to know you. And we look at this. We look at Isaiah's calling. We look at verse 9 and 10. This didn't seem very fun. Make the heart of this people insensitive. Make its ears unresponsive. Shut its eyes so it may not look and listen with its ears and comprehend with its mind and turn back and be healed. No one's going to repent. That does not seem like that's fun. And And, and Isaiah said, until when? Like, how long, God? How long do we have to do this for? And he said, until the, basically everything's destroyed around you. Like, that doesn't seem very easy. And that seems kind of painful. And, you know, I, I think these are some truths that we need to accept about total obedience. Um, we can do all the right things with all the right motives based on the right knowledge of God. We, we, can, we, can, we can behave and act and love perfectly, and yet we can still get sick. We can do all the right things, and we can still lose friends. We can still lose our jobs. We can still get hurt. We can still stay poor. I know that's not very popular. There's a lot of Christians who really love the idea that, and believe the idea that if they just follow God perfectly, God will bless them with financial riches. But you can do everything right and still remain in poverty. And let's be honest, you can do everything right and you can die. Jim Elliott is a, a Christian hero in many ways. And he was sent by God to evangelize a tribe, an unreached tribe in South America headhunters, and I don't know how long he worked for, but he worked for years, and they didn't see a single convert. One day, he goes on into the, goes on into the, the, the jungle there um, to try and continue his work, and he's killed. He's, he's murdered, martyred for the cause of Christ. And this is one of, one of my favorite Jim Elliott quotes. It is, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose. That is, it's not a foolish thing to be willing to lay down your life, which you can't even hold on to anyway. None of us know when the end is coming. It's not foolish to give up your life to lay it down to gain the eternal reward of obedience and blessing and love and the grace of God's presence. And here's the thing. His wife continued on, and after his death, 
more people came to know Jesus as a result of his death than came to know him during his life. And, and here's, here's the truth. It's only after reaching our limits that God shows up. God wants to push you to the end of yourself. He wants me to go to the end of myself before he will show up and do his thing. Only God can do God things. The kind of change that we desire to see in our homes, in, in me, the kind of change I want to see in me, the kind of change I want to see in my family, the kind of change I want to see in my church, in my city, in my country, in this world, is only possible through God. And it's only after putting our yes on the table and, and doing what God's asked us to do and being faithful and totally obedient that, that God will push us to our limits and he'll put us out there where he wants us and then he shows up and he does what only he can do. And it's incredible. Just because something's hard does not mean that it's wrong. And it's only, only when God shows up that we see, and this is point four, there is incredible power in total obedience. And we talk about power, and a lot of us think about power in terms of electricity or horsepower, motor vehicles, engines, or we think about military power. You know, I, I love watching YouTube shorts of American aircraft, military aircraft. I think we have some of the coolest airplanes in the world. Um, just some of the some of the fighter craft that we have is is incredible and so you think of power you think of that um when jesus came and he talked about power he talked about life change like the most the most powerful thing that god can do is he can change someone's heart he can change someone's life and and we we look at this and and we can see that that what we really need is this kind of life-changing power and as a result of Isaiah's ministry, we now have today some of the greatest sermons out of the Old Testament. You know, Isaiah is one of the most quoted Old Testament authors by New Testament authors. Isaiah, here's, here's ni Isaiah 9-6. This is one of our favorite Christmas passages. A child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. The dominion will be on his shoulder, and his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Think about it. Isaiah might have preached that sermon to thousands of people in his own day. Nobody got it. Nobody responded. Nobody repented. And yet for the last 2,000 years, we've been celebrating our Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and call to her. That her compulsory labor is fulfilled, her sin is paid for. So they're in, they're in, they're in exile. He's calling them back. But this is, this is verse three. A voice is calling in the wilderness. Clear the way of Yahweh. Make a highway smooth in the desert for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Who is that describing? John the Baptist. That was his ministry. Clear away for Isaiah. Here's Isaiah 53, three through six. He was despised for our 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering, acquainted with sickness, and like one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised, and we did not hold him in high regard. However, he was the one who lifted up our sicknesses, and he carried our pain. Yet we ourselves assumed him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. All of us has wandered about like sheep, and each have turned to his own way, and Yahweh let fall on him the iniquity of us all. I have no idea what Isaiah thought this meant, but we look back and we see Jesus Christ crucified, right? So Isaiah had this incredible ministry that he, this, God used Isaiah's ministry in an incredible way that Isaiah never got to see, never. He never got to experience the joy of seeing people come to know Jesus. But God used that. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus talks about how he showed his disciples all things in the scriptures that pointed to himself, he, he spent a lot of time in Isaiah. And and this must not have been fun for him, but it changed the world, these sermons. It changed the future. And look, it's only through total obedience that we can experience the fullness of what God has for us. This isn't in your sermon notes, but I, I want you to take that home with you. It's only through total obedience that we can experience the fullness of what God has for us. And while we may not see it on this side of eternity, when we get to heaven, you, I, you, I bet your bottom dollar, the minute Jesus, Isaiah got up there after he passed away and he left this life behind, he saw Jesus and he jumped for joy that he got to get to be part of this, that these are his words that are quoted by the New Testament authors to talk about Jesus' suffering. And so, you know, my question for you is, is what is it that God's asking you to do? Where do you need to be more obedient to God? Where do you need to experience the fullness of what God has for us? Jesus promised us eternal life and life abundant. Abundant, eternal life. So that means eternal life, yes, eternity with Jesus, eternity with God and the new creation, but abundant life here. And, and Isaiah saw God, he was transformed, and he obeyed God completely and fully the rest of his life. So what, what is it that you need to do? Is it your heart, your mind? Is there some action or behavior that you need to take, some step you need to take? And if there is some next step you need to take this morning, I would encourage you to see someone at our Next Steps booth. You can come and talk to me, talk to Pastor Noah, Pastor Sean, but we would love to help you take your next step closer to Jesus so that you too can experience the fullness of what God has planned for you as you obey him totally. Let's pray.